Actually, we'll be interviewing as a team. We're here to fuck shit up. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Jake Stewart? And I'm Matt. And this is the Nuclear Fridge. <laughs> it's completely insane. You guys are idiots. Do you have nuclear weapons? In the fridge. Is that nuclear waste? This whole fridge is a joke. Honey, you are a regular nuclear meltdown. You and I are not so different. Stupid fridge guys. Well, do each his own. Go to school, boys. Hello, and welcome to another fantastic episode of The Nuclear Fridge. I'm your host, Matt Paget. For some reason, still doing this intro as if this is some kind of, like, elaborately planned show. It's pre-recorded. For kids or some shit. I don't know why I keep doing it, but I keep doing it this way. Whatever. Let's move on. Today I'm joined by two of my best friends in the entire world. Jacob Decker. Hello. Hello. And Stuart Gears. Hello. How's it going, gentlemen? Are you guys uh are you guys perky this week? Yeah, are, are you gonna you gonna introduce week, a guest? You know. what are you yeah, doing? I, 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 I'm going to. You oh. guys I'm the host. I'm driving this ship. You guys have to hey, trust the captain. The I, feel like it, I feel like it's weird to talk about being perky before introducing the guest. No, I was going to say, are you guys feeling perky? And then if you got, you guys would probably say no because you're a bunch of fucking hooligans. And then I would say, well, we brought someone in to perk ourselves up. Uh, the creator of the three to four cold ones meme. <laughs> <laughs> Should probably host his own show called Cold Ones and totally rip off that, that bald guy over on that Food Network channel. Jay! What's going on, gentlemen? It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> he was unsure if that here. was an introduction. <laughs> it wasn't a very good one. I, I think we, we were just saying before, maybe we should kind of plan the intro a bit so Jake and I can go with your intro. Yeah, we should because uh, we should we should just. Because I never know if I should episode. just not talk or let you yeah. continue or then well, say something. Matt, why, why don't you why don't you write a script each episode? Remember, it's got to be about an hour long, so it's at sixty pages right, right. ish, and then you can give everyone their lines, and we can just sit here and read read them out. Yeah, I think it'd be great. And then finally, when I make a joke, Stuart cannot take it completely literally. <laughs> I don't take every joke literally. It's just sometimes. Every time I make a joke about Batman. Anyway. I don't think I do. We have a very special guest today. Jay, we are so fucking, so, we are so fucking stoked to so have you on this stoked. show. I am so fucking Listen, excited to be here. We are big fans of your three to four cold ones pictures. I even prepared by having three to four cold ones. Uh, <laughs> also, in fact, I'm... I, Jay, Jay does a number of really great podcasts, including... Well, like, we were getting there. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. I mean, you said you had three to four cold ones, you know? You're steering this ship into an iceberg. Well, know? hey, hey, Jay, listen, is Jay a bad... Should we even have Jay on this podcast? He, he might be a bad influence on us. I don't think that that's possible. I haven't had any cold ones. Jesus Christ, dude. I haven't either. And we have a special... Go go ahead, Matt. Say, anyway. Say what you're going to say. Jay, I apologize. My co-host did not have three to four cold ones to welcome <laughs> you into the nuclear fridge fold. You are a host of a bunch of podcasts, um, and you do a lot of horror content, which is kind of Ooh. why 
we were so excited to have you on. We're big horror fans. Uh, and yeah, why, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and like plug your podcast right at the front here. Awesome. Well, again, I'm, I'm such a big fan of the podcast and I was so excited to uh, be here and I appreciate you guys having me on. But yeah, I'm a freelance writer and podcaster. Um, I host a horror video game podcast called Safe Room for bloodydisgusting.com with my uh, brother across the pond, Neil Bolt. Uh, we release new episodes every Monday. And then on my lonesome, I host a horror movie podcast called Daily Horror Habit, which is, you know, I do some solo reviews. Uh, boozy movie commentaries and have uh, esteemed guests such as Mr. Decker himself. And uh, I released a new episode every Friday. Um, but yeah, you know, I've a huge fan of your guys' podcast and I've really enjoyed a lot of the horror episodes when I, I think I stumbled upon your end of the year awards episode and then went back and kind of was just like picking some of the horror episodes and then, you know, became such a fan of the podcast that I uh, dove into basically all of them since then. <laughs> oh, God damn. So, you know this show better than us. You've probably heard the same story told a couple times. <laughs> probably more than a couple. Yeah. So, We're like, hey, you you guys hear this story we've never told before? <laughs> we did, a couple weeks ago, we did a, a pretty damning review of the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I saw you, you liked it, I think, right, Jay? I, I was curious to get a little more of your thoughts on that film. Yeah, I uh, I was pleasantly surprised just because of the sort of turbulent development that it had and, you know, it going from being a planned theatrical release to being straight to Netflix doesn't exactly uh, inspire a lot of confidence just in terms of like what the end result was going to be. But uh, yeah, you know, I shared a lot of the grievances that uh, you guys had with it in terms of just the whole influencer side of things and some uh, not the most inspired uh, characters and whatnot but in terms of it just being like a kind of gorgeous gory mess of a movie i uh, i had a good time with it but more, definitely more so than i thought i was going to yeah there no, were definitely fair. some fun kills in that movie compared to yeah to the uh, 3d there were much better kills <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely i think overall just even from just the way it looks um it's definitely an improvement from uh what's that horrible line from that one it's like do Go your thing cuz oh yeah right or whatever right. Like, whatever uh, the inspired one of, yeah exactly oh god and then and then i can always forget about the leatherface one that came out after that yeah there's about yeah there's about five good minutes in that movie which is a a 90 minute uh, disaster otherwise please, please tell me that the wheelchair scene is included in that ah uh, you know it it's a blur in my memory no doubt from uh too many cold ones but i'm better off fair. for it probably that is fair yeah it's literally five seconds of a practical dummy being tossed out a window in a wheelchair <laughs> <laughs> i think i've seen that scene it's quick but it just comes out of nowhere and it got me which is not but yeah the thing i thought I overall i was kind of surprised at just them understanding how to use leatherface in a way that i thought was actually like more in line with the character from like the portrayal in the original movie right because i mean a lot of them it kind of like went in different directions in terms of being more humor focused or just being such a deviation from the original one and this one i was impressed that they kind of had something that felt in line with the original and that it's more about him being kind of like very reactionary to you know getting back into killing people and going on these uh blood rampages that he's so well known for right i mean 
his hiding out and then him kind of like coming back into his own and, you know, donning the saw and everything. It was a reaction to, you know, his family being attacked, which was this woman that had adopted him. And I thought that that was a little more in line with what I'd come to expect from Leatherface, just from like the original film and whatnot. Because I think over the years, you know, when you have nine or 10 sequels or however many they've had, the original vision can get a little distorted. And so to see something that felt like a continuation of the original, even though, you know, obviously Toby Hooper was not involved in uh, the original writers and stuff. I was surprised at that. But then at the same time, the direction that they went with like Sally, which was so shoehorned in and such an afterthought <laughs> and such a, uh, a waste of a potential premise uh, was surprising. Yeah. I, Agreed. you know what, as much as we shit on that movie, like we, we, I think we mentioned at the end of that episode, like it is, it is not Halloween kills. It is, it is not, the new Candyman. I don't know how you where you fall on the new Candyman, but it it, it feels like it it feels like competent. It just doesn't feel super. I mean, for me at least, it didn't feel super I, engaging through, throughout the whole. I think can, I think Candyman I was think competent. I just wasn't. I just wasn't a fan of how they connected it to the original and how to. That's true. I I should. Candyman was competent. I, I really my my beef is with Halloween Kills, which I felt. <laughs> I don't know what was your opinion of Halloween Kills. Uh, I liked again, like I'm a huge fan of Halloween. I really liked just how brutal and over the top Michael was, but everything that kind of connected each of the kills was such a, such a uh, a misstep. I thought narratively speaking, but also just a bunch of characters that we're supposed to have like this great admiration for, but then they don't do a whole lot. Uh, it's kind of like dra dragging up the past and whatnot from different characters from the original. And then at the end of the day, like how Laurie Strode and, you know, her family end up taking a backdrop to everything, considering how prominent they were in uh, the first one. I was just like, okay, this all narratively just feels like such a misstep. And I kind of just tuned out and waited for uh for Michael to do his thing and probably some of the best kill set pieces I thought he's had in a while. But then at the end of the day, like it feels so foreign to a lot of uh, what is kind of intrinsic to Michael, you know, what really made him step out from so many of the other uh, slasher icons, you know, he's no longer really just this silent hunter of the night. He's very much just this killing maniac that's taking out entire uh, fire department battalions and whatnot, which is fun to watch. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, I don't know how in line this is with that character. Yeah, that one firefighter had like the limpest flow from his hose. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't think to turn it up all the way before shooting it yeah. at Michael. It was his first fire. Come on. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. You know I, what? You know what? Despite how much we've talked poorly of it, though, that I still that car scene is amazing. Oh that yeah. Whole set piece is great, and there were some a couple the whole other just, ones. But... That was the only I think part it's though, great that, like, that it's they, they set it up with the kids who are in the park being right. like ah some some assholes playing hide and seek with us with, with a white mask and you're like ooh that's creepy, like he just keeps stepping out from behind a tree like ugh, I did I yeah that was a good good creep factor and then the rest of the movie it went right down the tube with little Mike and Big Mike. Well, to take it back to Texas Chainsaw for a minute, I mean with that van scene in the cornfield, I thought was probably one of my 
favorite, well, I don't know about favorite, but it was definitely one of the best moments of that film, I thought, because it actually yeah. was able to like formulate a great sense of geography within the cornfield, but then also showing him off as like this land shark, basically, instead of just the typical wrecking ball, I think, that is so often the sort of go-to with portraying him. The whole sort of like stalking his prey and then playing with them a little bit and then you know, having that reveal uh, of him just like being right behind her in the background, I thought was really great and just a really well shot scene, even though the film kind of like blows its water early in terms of that being the most like competently structured scene and shot. For but, sure. You know, the film gets progressively gorier and uh, and wonderful in that regard, even if, you know, the narr- you kind of just turn off your brain for the remainder of the movie after that. Do you I think so I, for... for- Sorry, what were you going to no, say? No, 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 you're good. Uh, I'm going to switch the topics. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Oh, okay, okay. I just want to check. Just listen. I just want to check on you, bud. <laughs> oh, <God>. uh, <laughs> let's go. Let's let's forget about all this modern crap. Uh, what? Okay, but first, first of all, I don't think modern horror movies are bad. I just want to say that to you, as someone who does not doesn't. I, I feel like you don't know my set like taste in horror just yet. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of your podcast, but what would you say is like the thing that got you started in horror? Like, was it something that scared you so bad that you just like had to have more or was it just something you just think this shit is cool? Like kind of like I do. <laughs> yeah. So this is one of those things. And, uh, every time I have a guest on my podcast, daily horror habit, I do this as like the icebreaker, right? It's kind of like, what was the first scary movie or scary moment that had a uh, a profound effect on somebody for better or worse. And for me, I didn't grow up in like a horror household. Like my parents didn't watch horror. They weren't really interested in horror movies, even though both of my parents gave me kind of my love of movies with a variety of other genres, but horror was never really the thing for them. And whenever I'd go to my grandparents' house, they were the ones that were really into like old sci-fi movies, old horror movies. So it's kind of a a blur in terms of like what the first one was, but it was either the thing or it was uh, like the original night of the living dead where I would catch like glimpses of these movies because they would record them for me on VHS off of like sci-fi channel or AMC or whatever was playing them. And so I just remember kind of like being enamored with those two movies because they showed things that obviously at such a young age at like whatever I was seven or eight, they showed me things I'd never seen before and they were so foreign to the other types of movies that I was watching. So I would go see them for a weekend or whatever during the summer and watch these movies and be terrified of them and be confused by them, not really understand them or have like context for what I was seeing at the time. But then I would go home and I would just, that's all I would think about. You know, I would draw monster pictures or draw stupid little comics like kids do, but of monsters and things like that. And, you know, the older I got and having access to, uh, whether it be Blockbuster or whatever the local rental store was, kind of just running through the shelves of the, uh, the the creepy and depraved stuff that I could find, like I'm sure many horror fans do. Right. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about horror now? Like, it, not. I mean, obviously, I'm not talking about like the whole spectrum of horror from when you were a kid to now. More just like the modern day. You kind of got the. Um, I mean, like the Scream movie actually is the new one is actually like super kind of covers it but like the smart emotional horror and then all of these like reboots that are just sequels like where, where how do you feel do you feel good about where horror is now or do you feel that 
maybe something else about uh, the the current state of where horror is? I think it's a super exciting time. You know, I think with especially people getting more and more access to whatever they might need to make films, you know what I mean? And pe- and just having more resources available, you're getting a wider variety of voices getting to tell horror stories and things like that. And people that are coming in with their own experiences often that differ from the average viewer or something like that. And I think that that's a really exciting thing for horror is getting more voices in horror and getting to tell stories in a way that, you know, I've never experienced or I would never think to or just like bringing in their own life experiences and telling a story the way that they want to. And, you know, you mentioned Candyman earlier. I think that that's a film that maybe I agree. I definitely agree. Like, I don't know. I agree with the fact that they had to tie it to the original. Like I thought that was a misstep of theirs, but overall, like visually, I thought that that was a really interesting way to portray that movie. And it was one of those things that it, it excited me in a way that I wasn't expecting just visually the way they chose to tell that story. Um, But also like you get a lot of weird horror movies now and things that you hear somebody mention it or you read a blurb online about it and you're like, well, how the hell is there a movie around this? Like um, Titan from uh, Julie, Julia Duquineau from last year. The, the buzz around that movie was like, well, it's a girl that fucks a car. Right. That was kind of like the, uh, the blurb that was getting thrown out there and you're like, well, okay, that, that sounds amusing for about 90 seconds. Then how do you make an almost two hour movie around that? And then I just rewatched it the other day. And it's like, there's so many layers to a film like that, that you're not expecting once you go in and see it. And especially when you rewatch it. And I don't know, I think horror is a really, we're in a really exciting time for horror because you can get these weird abstract concepts that are from people that have something to say. And they're using the vessel of horror to tell that, whether it be, Again, like their own experiences, they're, you know, getting a lot more female voices in horror and things like that, I think is really great. And getting to tell these very personable stories that have facets to them that, you know, as a white guy, I would, if I was a storyteller, I would never think to do this or have the experiences to tell certain types of stories. So, you know, when you go from that side of horror to more like the reboots, like we've already mentioned, like Halloween Kills and Candyman and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm so much a fan of the classics that even when you get one of these reboots or you get a remake and whatnot, even if it doesn't necessarily always land for me, I'm still there having a great time because they're characters that I like. Um, even if, you know, narratively, maybe they don't always uh, titillate quite as they should, but they certainly do in terms of like these up- modern updatings and highly polished kills and uh, set pieces. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, it's interesting. Oh, I'm sorry, you go, you, Jake. Yeah. It's interesting um, hearing you talk about how like, a lot of these indie productions have produced some of the most interesting horror. And I think you're totally right. Like horror is definitely a vehicle to shoot for some of those more high concept, stranger ideas that you could never get away with now, because even if someone doesn't fully understand what's going on, like if you scare someone, if you make them feel something, they're still really going to enjoy it. And and like, there's nothing more, exciting for me to then to put on a indie horror movie that i don't know anything about right like like i love that feeling when someone's like oh hey there's this movie called censor or something like that like that's a a movie that really stood out to me last year and that was a movie that i knew nothing about but i was like okay i'll check this out and that's a movie that could have never been made like 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago like it, it just wouldn't have made sense no one would have backed that it would have been like the technology wasn't there. Well, they did shoot and film though, which is kind of cool. Um, 
point aside though, like that point aside, I, I think horror has been, has become such a cool, like breeding ground for all of these interesting ideas that you could never get in, in a, in a theater, quote unquote, you know, like in, in a, on a, on a big silver screen. Yeah. And it's also the type of thing too, where I don't know, I'm just, I'm always excited about premises of movies and then make kind of like a hard and fast rule that if a premise sounds appealing or sounds interesting or intriguing or weird or you know obviously if i'm talking to different people online and stuff somebody gives you a recommendation that's generally enough for me now because it's like yeah i generally would be watching movies anyways and then i don't look into it and even more recently like stopped watching trailers for a lot of movies like i just watched fresh from uh, the director mimi cave and that just dropped oh on, yeah uh, i watched that yeah, so I, a movie I knew nothing about and one of my buddies hit me up and was like, oh, you should definitely check this out. And then didn't even have to tell me like go in cold because that's just how I go into movies now because, you know, you read one too many sentences of uh, a, not a, a blurb or something online and it's like, oh, well, you just spoiled like the main hook or the big surprise. And not to say that that movie has necessarily like a big surprise. You can kind of see where the plot is heading. It's the type of movie though where it's such a wonderful surprise to just like come home on a Friday throw something on that somebody recommended sort of just casually or offhand. And then it kind of just blows you away because it goes in a direction either you weren't expecting, or there's just a level of execution involved that catches you off guard for something that not a lot of people are talking about in the immediate moment around its release. Did you, Stuart, Matt, did you guys see Fresh? I have it I on my watch list. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I decided to watch okay. Deep Water this weekend on Hulu. So if, if it's on Stuart's watch list, it'll it'll get done in a couple months. I think you'd be surprised, Matt. Yeah, yeah I feel like Stuart burns through be. movies pretty quickly. Yeah. That is true. I, I really, I really wanted Lasso, to though. watch that. Uh, Mikey even brought up Fresh, so I, I, I do. Need oh to yeah, watch he it. did. Yeah, and I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm kind of digging that Sebastian Stan guy. I, he's I'm a great kinda, actor. Yeah, I'm not a big Marvel dude, but he he's also in that Pam and Tommy, which is supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, he's one of the big draws for me for that movie and just, like, telling people to check it out. Because, you know, I've, I've seen him in the Marvel stuff, but other than that, I was pretty ignorant to, like, the rest of his filmography. And, you know, he's fine in the Marvel stuff, I guess, but it's not really, uh, like, he's stealing a lot of scenes in terms of just, like, holding his own narratively in those movies, at least in my opinion. But it was a great surprise to see him really, like, carry his own and be this kind of forced to be reckoned with without uh, getting too much into spoilers of Fresh or anything. But he gives a really phenomenal performance and carries that movie in a way that, again, you know, it was a, uh, a lovely surprise, a horrifying surprise. Right. You know, uh, one, one thing we were talking about, like, reboots and whatnot. Is it, it – you may know more about this than I do because you're, you're in the weeds in this stuff. But it seems wild to me that we haven't gotten a new Jason in anything. Like we didn't get a movie called Jason well, during they, I mean, the have, let's right, name they, our movie after the villain. Isn't it? Cause uh, like phase. they have a lot but, of licensing issues and stuff. Going yeah, on. yeah. Licensing issues. That's right. really. Yeah. That was uh, part of the reason why, I mean, they did a Friday the 13th game a few years ago and they had this whole content roadmap or DLC roadmap and they basically had to abandon it because of all the licensing stuff. And I think that's why they kind of were inspired. Oh, wow. to go the route with a uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre game that they just announced or they announced it during E3 or something. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the problem with uh, the film series. We haven't had one since, what was it? 2009, I think with that remake. Yeah. That was Crystal Dunes, right? Yeah. 
did yeah, yeah I believe so, with, so, yeah. Uh, right, right with Michael Bay yep. when he was producing oh, them right did any of you guys play the Friday the 13th game I did I did. It was pretty. It was pretty fucking funny. <laughs> it's, it's a. It's a fun game. It was a fun game. I mean, it's, yeah, it had they... some neat ideas. I. I have. I. I think I actually streamed it at Gamespot. But there was one moment where me and someone else were trying to get away, and we were in a car, and we're like looking behind us because we thought he was behind us. And then we look forward, and he's just standing in front of the car. Car slams against him like it was a tree, and he pulls <laughs> off. <laughs> That's it was awesome. it was fun. It, it was it was janky as fuck. Like like yeah. it's interesting playing Dead by Daylight because Dead by Daylight definitely feels like a more thought out, polished version of that game, at least based on when I had first played it. But that said, it was like pretty interesting. So I, I'm super curious to see uh, what that team ends up doing with that uh, with 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 the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game because I feel like that could be pretty fun. So that was one thing that I thought was interesting with them going because. With the Friday Thirteenth game, you know they had multiple like Jason builds, right? It was costumes from the different movies that correspond with his abilities and weapon set mm-hmm. based on whatever the player decided to select. And then with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it was like, how much can you do with Leatherface, right? What are you just going to give him different types of chainsaws or something to that effect or different smocks? But then they t- started talking about like introducing other members of the family or the Sawyer family, and that sounds interesting to me in a way that. I don't know. The other game, I mean, sure, you could give Jason different abilities, but at the end of the day, he's going to play fairly familiar to each of those builds other than like, okay, he's got a ranged weapon now or this or that. So this that has me excited for water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know what? I, I wonder if they'll like introduce like long, like family members, like our, our extended family members. They'll be like, oh, this is this is Billy Jim Bob Joe. <laughs> <Right>. And he... <laughs> He, this he's is not plastic from any of the movies, face. but and then they like do a trailer where it's like Leatherface picks up the phone and says, "I need you," and then, <laughs> and then fucking helicopter comes in and a new hillbilly jumps out. I think it'd be great, yeah. I, and I'm actually really excited from what I've heard of that game. It's like it. I I love Dead by Daylight, and I love and I well I I really enjoyed that Friday the Thirteenth game. I didn't play it as much as I'd like to, just because I didn't have friends. Uh, back when it came out, uh, you know, it's been, you know, I'll tell you something. It's fun. It's fun having friends. I'll say that much, but it, it, it just, it, the, the idea of just, it's not one V five is really fucking exciting. Like it's, it is Leatherface and his family versus a group of asshole teenagers. And I do wonder what, what they do. Like, is it just the house? Do they do like, oh, hey, that Netflix movie that came out, we'll do a level based on that. But that doesn't seem like something they want to like lean into. I'm, I'm super, super, super curious what they do to make it a like, you know, one of those forces of of like games as a service. It'll it'll be interesting. I mean, having it be on the farm in itself would be a pretty big, like cool level. Absolutely, you know, like the house and the oh, fields yeah. and the little woods and stuff. Like, I think that you could do a lot with that. It would be cool. I mean, if they kind of took a page out of Deadlight, Dead by Daylight's book, right? And that, like you had said, you can just extend that family and be like, "Oh, here's a long lost cousin. Here's a long lost compound. They've been, you know, traipsing around Texas and whatnot in the different iterations and things of that nature." So that could be cool, and you know, they get some creative freedom with that and uh, expanding on the concept more than just the farmhouse. 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I, man, I, I, it's a bummer that these rights are all in all these different places. Cause one thing I loved about in terms of just like horror and video games, when NetherRealm was doing all of the, like for Mortal Kombat 9 and Mortal Kombat 10, they were doing the horror guests. That was rad. And like, I like Robocop. I like Terminator, but man, it would have been cool to have more like, like Michael Myers in the game or whatever. And it's a bummer that like those rights are so all over the place that it just makes it impossible to get all these different characters into the same game or like just to make a game based on like horror characters. Yeah. You know, at the same time, it's, it's, I mean, I have my relationship with horror games is kind of similar to my relationship with horror movies in that I always love when you get these kind of like the big name horror icons that show up in games and they get their own games, but then just all of the wonderful sort of uh, horror indie offerings that are out there with stuff like Itch.io and, you know, even on Steam, right? You get these games that are released on a daily basis, it seems, that are so wildly different. And it's a feature that we actually just started for a safe room in that we, it's called Horror Bites. And so each month, Neil and I, my co-host, select four indie games that we've come across. And the deal is it's like on site, if you see something that looks interesting to you, you just pick that. And so long as the other person hasn't played it, we pick it and we talk about it for uh, the episode. And usually they're games that you can complete within 30 minutes or something like that. I mean, they're bite-sized. They're very quick little experiences, but they have a tendency, no matter how they look, right? A lot of these are made by single people or they're made during game jams that take 72 hours or something like that. And yet there's a concept or an idea behind it that is so different than anything that we've played before. Um, And so that I think is just as exciting, uh, if not more in terms of like horror video games, because that is, you know, more often than not, you end up seeing some concepts in these smaller indie games that really get a following, you know, whether it be through marketplace sales, they pop up on that Steam best of list or you know on twitch they kind of go viral through that and then you start to see concepts or mechanics basically that end up on those triple a games and whatnot so yeah horror games in general is just a really ever-evolving and uh, fascinating space no i i totally agree did you play i mean this is kind of like a little more prestigious than the stuff you find on itch.io and not necessarily better for it but did you ever play visage Visage? Uh, no, I haven't played that yet. That's on my that list, game. though. This is this is the thing, is that, like, I have such a bad... Like, I just got back into PC gaming, and my back catalog is growing every single day by at least, like, 10 or 15 things. Yeah, I just, I just bought a bundle of games, and it's like, oh, now I've got 20 more games that I want to play and will never be able to play. And even when I have time, I'm just going to play Elden Ring. So what the fuck did I just do to myself? (laughs) I just bought uh, Inscription because it was on sale on Steam. And I can't wait to dive into that. I played played about 15 minutes of the demo. And I was like, I can't play any more of this demo. I just need to buy it and then dive right into that. That game, that game is really good. That has some really good horror vibes as well. Like the pacing is a little strange. I think the pacing works, but it would, it'll, it's, I know people that it's turned like that aspect has turned them off of it, but I think, yeah, that game's dope. I don't want to say too much that there's a lot to spoil in that game. And I think the less, you know, the better, 
Uh, but yeah, that, that game is that game is excellent. Yeah, I've heard it goes in some pretty wild places, and I'm uh, I'm dying to dive into it. You know, I just played a game that basically feels like an Adult Swim spin on uh, WarriorWare, which is called Spookware, and we just covered it uh, on the podcast, which is like a series of horror. Well, have you guys heard of that or played that? I haven't. No, no. I, I haven't at all. No. Yeah, so it's one it's of on these. PC? Yeah, it's on PC. It's one of these games that's been developed by uh, Dread XP, which is kind of the game publishing yes. arm of uh, of Dread Central, that horror website. And so it's the same setup as a WarriorWare, right? You play these mini games. If you mess up three games in a row, it's game over. But they tie in this whole sort of narrative about these three skeleton brothers that want to go out and leave their basement where all they've been doing is watching horror movies ad nauseum for the, their entire life, it seems. And they tie this whole narrative into these mini games, which are adult swim nature in just, and I keep referencing that because it's so bizarre and, uh, and very kind of like gothic macabre style of uh, sensibilities and horror, but it doesn't, it's not as like lewd as some of the stuff you see on adult swim, but like, there's just a very strange sense of humor that's tied into each and every mini game. And while the mini games themselves are like, in WarriorWare fashion, like they're pretty easy to pick, get a hand on what you have to do and you can complete them in, I don't know, 10 seconds or something. But each one leaves a very distinct impression in terms of just how weird it is. And they go the extra mile and just developing this narrative around it. And, you know, it's the writing is of a quality where like you want to interact with every single person, even if you don't have to, just to hear whatever kind of weird anecdote they have and something like that. That is something I definitely want to check out. Uh, have you have you seen the um, their Dread X collections? Yeah, so I actually just picked one of those up because again, it was one of the, you know the the thing about Steam is is that if anytime I log on, I'm like, oh well, I have to buy this and this and this because they're all on sale. So that's also uh, <laughs> in my back catalog. I think it's their most recent one where they have this like Arctic theme tied to it. Yeah. The uh, so oh, you bought the uh, Dread X collection, the Hunt. Yes. Yeah, that was the one. That one's great. So I'm not so familiar with these collections that I understand the overarching story between them because there is apparently an overarching story between each one. I've played each one. I haven't played each one to the point where I get that. Or maybe I just haven't played the specific game that has the story in it. But that Hunt collection is so fucking good. It's so So for people who don't know, it's basically just a collection of seven shooters and they're short games but each game feels like it should not be able to be launched from the same game <laughs> like the visual style the mechanics everything is completely unique but each have this very uh i mean like you said it, uh, a lot of cases it's very adult swimmy in, in just sometimes in comedy but also sometimes in like their web stuff uh where it's a little more creepy and a little more unnerving it's they're fucking cool fucking things. So that's definitely something I want to check out if Dread XP did it. Yeah, it's a blast. It's one of those things too where, you know, it take it probably takes 3 hours to complete the whole thing. There's 3 acts. Just don't have anything to do one night, just check out one of the acts. It takes about an hour and it's uh, each one feels completely different while still building on a lot of the mechanics of the act that came before it, which is really great and you know, I think I played it in two sittings. It was one of those games that's just so weird and entertaining and unlike anything I'd played before in a lot of ways, even though, you know, when you go back and think about it, there's clear influences that are there, but it just, 
makes for an experience that feels uh, unlike anything you played previously. Uh, I wish I I wish they would do like like Dread XP Jackbox style game. <laughs> right? Oh, that'd be really good. Just something like creepy because like I'm one. I'm tired of going to my friend's house and playing Jackbox all the fucking time. <laughs> but two, I just think that there's something fucking cool there with uh, with their style of just surreal, unnerving destruction. It's it's fucking it's really awesome. I I highly recommend. Stuart, get a goddamn gaming PC so you can check this stuff out. You would fucking go gaga I for know, it. I know. I know. You would love One it. One day. <laughs> Did uh so so you said you just got into PC gaming? Did you did you like get like a full on rig? I just kind of shopped around, found a uh, kind of the best deal I could on one of those general HP Pavilion uh, gaming laptops. I'm not super tech savvy, but my co-host uh, got one and you know didn't uh, didn't have too many issues with it. So I waited until it was on sale, a little more in my price range, and bit the bullet as it was. It's probably awesome. a good play considering how hard it is to get graphics cards. Yeah, well, that was the thing is that I have a couple of buddies that are far more tech savvy than I am. And they were like, yeah, you picked a real awful time to get back into PC gaming. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's rough. Although I've been seeing ads for graphics cards on Instagram and I don't buy them because I, I don't need one quite yet. But every time I click on it, they seem to be available. And I'm like, what the hell? Is it much easier now? Yeah, but, I was I was waiting to hold out, and, but then you know when you run a gaming podcast, it's kind of difficult to schedule things when you, all I had was a uh, an Xbox One uh, S at the moment. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, it might be good to uh, to invest in something that has a little more access to uh, some of the lesser known games that are out there, and better off for it. Totally. Oh man, especially in horror. There, I, I have so basically I've divided my entire Steam library into like genres or whatever like my own personal like hey these are the games i'm putting I all of the... do that dude i i couldn't get through it there's so many oh, games really? i was like oh my god this is gonna take fucking forever and then you'd come across games and i'm like is this a horror game is this an action game or is this a, <laughs> a shooter and then i wouldn't know what to do so i just i i deleted it all all i have is my favorite games and everything else that's awesome <laughs> I had the same I, problem I, when I went to categorize my movies. It was the same thing where I was like, well, this is action comedy. This is a, a horror action. Co like starting to try yeah. and do like sub genres and stuff. And I was like, yeah, it's not fucking worth spending the time to do this. Genres oh, are stupid anyway. Especially with horror. Cause like you, they're like every, every horror movie has like a second genre that it belongs to or whatever. Like alien. It's a sci-fi movie uh Shaun of the dead it's a comedy it's it's you're it's a losing game if you're gonna go that route yep uh but i just did horror like i i just i mean i've done like souls metroidvania that shit but i just literally went down my library and just divided everything into horror and man it, it's like shocking how many fucking horror games i have like you you forget how many of them there are until you actually just look at a list of them because it feels like I mean, I guess, I guess it hasn't felt like it in a while, but like, I remember it felt like an underserved genre where when there was a horror game that came out and you were a horror game fan, you fucking played it. Cause that was all you were getting for the entire year. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it was definitely that like 360 Xbox live arcade era, maybe a little after that where like indie horror for games really started to pick up at least for mainstream. And then we got games like outlast and things like that, which 
I would say directly influenced like Resident Evil Seven, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Have you played Outlast, Jay? So I played. I think I played like the opening two hours or so of the first and the second one. And for me, I wasn't, they weren't necessarily like some of my favorites just because I don't know. Those are the type of things where I definitely appreciate the fact that like they were very, very pivotal in making first person more viable in horror. And obviously there have been plenty of first person horror games, but just in terms of like, the first one popping off on Twitch and then getting to see more of an influx and, you know, community both from fans and developers that are like, oh, this is super popular and viable. And that kind of, I'm sure, influenced and gave us, like uh, Jake had said, uh, something like Resident Evil 7. It's like, oh, this is more viable to suggest that Resident Evil takes on another perspective change, you know, going from the uh, the fixed angle to third person over the shoulder and now to first person. But for me, it... I don't know. I think those games are what, like five or six hours or something like that. And it feels like it's a little overbearing in its approach to horror in terms of like every room you go into after a while, it's like, oh, there's 19 decapitated corpses in this. And I, don't know, I feel like it's approach. <laughs> no, to that horror. one had 20. You, yeah, you exactly. missed the one in the corner. <laughs> yeah. That, those game sensibilities with horror, I find they're so overstimulating in the ways that they don't really necessarily build a great deal of attention for me. So about yeah. three hours into it, I kind of hit this wall where I'm like, this isn't that scary anymore. I'm, this is not building uh, tension yeah. or genuine fear in a way that something like Alien Isolation did, even if that game goes on a few hours more than it should. Like, There's so many other instances in that game, though, where it's like constantly building tension, constantly building uh, terror and fear in a way that uh, I think, for my money at least, eludes Outlast. But I know those games yeah. have a big following, and we're getting another one, I think, right? Yeah, uh, the, yeah. Oh man, it's a co-op yeah. one though. It seems pretty cool. But um, I was gonna ask if you had played Condemned. Oh yes, we did a uh, we did an episode actually for the anniversary of that game uh, this year, and I wrote a piece for BladeDisgusting.com on it. That is one of my favorite games in terms of horror games in terms of it blending. You know, a lot of the horror films that I'm such a fan of, like crime horror films, stuff like Seven, obviously, is a clear influence. But also just going in the complete opposite direction of what you're used to in first-person horror, where it's like, sure, ammo management is a thing, but ammo management is so incredibly scarce in that game in a way that I think kind of uh, surpasses a lot of other horror game, first-person horror games where you get a gun and kind of like putting the action right in your face or the horror right in your face and forcing the player to really defend themselves at arm's length with like pipes and boards and things like that is, uh, mm-hmm. is the perfect sort of brutal concoction for a game like that. I, I actually remember playing that game for the first time at Stuart's house and it was terrifying. <laughs> uh, I, I love those games. Like I, I, I prefer the first, but even two kind of holds a special place in my heart. Yeah. We, uh, we talked about that in our episode where I was like, it's kind of bittersweet revisiting the first. Cause while the second one definitely like has its moments, it kind of moves away from a lot of the horror elements that are, we were really appreciative of in the original. And, you know, obviously it's been dormant for so long that it ends on a cliffhanger and then we haven't gotten sort of a follow-up or even a reboot or a remaster. Though, you know, speaking right. of remaster, like I've replayed it recently, like I said, and that game still holds up really well. You know, the AI is kind of dated at this point, 
but I still think that that graphical style really kind of complements that that brooding, grungy sort of tetanus approach to environments and the way that's designed, where it's like if you walk into something, you're going to cut yourself on it. Um, it's a really oppressive atmosphere in a way that uh, I really appreciate and kind of complements it more than just being a creepy environment or people peeking around corners, but just complements that true crime or supernatural crime uh, storytelling. Yeah, and it I think like Monolith, the developer of the game, they were just the fucking best at creating like it was them and Starbreeze if you wanted a first person game that wasn't just Call of Duty you went to them and they made these incredibly immersive incredibly engaging first person games like dude the the, Chronicles of Riddick game a fucking masterpiece oh yeah the the first one of the first games actually this was the first violent game that I owned uh and I, I felt like I was own, I had drugs that I was hiding from my parents because of how <laughs> violent it was. But it was Monolith's Aliens vs. Predator 2. And that game scared the fuck out of me. Because you would be... It was like Marines, Aliens, and Predators. And the Marine campaign was horror until it wasn't. It, it was horror until the aliens showed up and then the aliens never stopped showing up. But... It was just, it, they were just so fucking good at building tension. And you can see that in Condemned. You can see that in Fear. You can see that in even like No One Lives Forever, which is such an old fucking game at this point. But I, they, they were fan-fucking-tastic. And to think that they're making Lord of the Rings and Wonder Woman now is such a bummer. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the things that we kind of talked about or bookended our episode on in that it's like you love when a developer kind of, comes up through the ranks, you know, they have a clear vision that seems tied to their sensibilities and whatnot. And then, you know, they get that first big AAA game that comes at, not to say they hadn't had a hit before that, but, you know, something that is, you, when you talk about horror and then you're talking about like Lord of the Rings or, you know, in the future, I guess they're making a Wonder Woman game. It's like those audiences compared to the niche corners of horror and things like that, you're you're happy for them that they're having such monumental success and, you know, reaping the benefits of that. But at the same time, it's like, all right, now you guys got to make one for you guys once in a while. Like something that is more in line with what you kind of got, you made your bones on essentially something that those more niche fans like myself and you guys are uh, probably clamoring for, but I don't know that we will necessarily be, if those are as viable for them as, you know, making another Lord of the Rings game or getting to play in the, uh, the DCIP in the future. Make a get them to make a first person Hellblazer game. Yeah, oh, he that plays John Constantine. I'll, I'll give he him a fucking, call. Yeah, tell him. <laughs> yeah, can you do that for us? God, thank God we got you on here. Fuck. Uh, it, I, I think just the idea of like horror immersive sims is such a neat concept that you don't really see explored too often. Um, at least anyway, because I mean, I love immersive sims. Uh, I, I mean, the I, I feel like the last really big immersive sim that I was super into was Prey. And like that game was had like horror vibes to it, right? But I feel like once you kind of knew what you were dealing with, that tension kind of faded a little bit. Um, But I, I I would kill for like a very dark, immersive sim, in like this with the same framework as Prey, but like a much more uh, oppressive, I guess, sort of environment. Yeah, that Prey's a great example of that. And I totally agree. You know, after the first few hours, when you really understand what you're dealing with, 
a lot of that fear kind of dissipates. But mm-hmm. I think the further into that game, and you know, obviously you have to do some digging in terms of like reading up on the emails or all these different things. Like you, you realize like the true monster is corporations and things like that, right? <laughs> Not to get yeah. too woke on here, but it's I the mean, type of thing fair. where you, <laughs> yeah, you get to see kind of what they're yeah. willing to do and how everybody's expendable and whatnot. I love I love that kind of moral of the story though. <laughs> it was into that game through and through. Um, but talking but about yeah. immersive sims though and horror, um, have you guys heard of a game called Cruelty Squad? I haven't. No. Yes, I have. I I keep I keep kind of almost buying it, but I'm not 100 percent sure if I should. Jay, lay it on me. Yeah. So that's a game that. I had heard about, but just based on looking at it, I was like, there's no way that this is going to be entertaining or engaging for more than 30 minutes because it is very rudimentary looking, right? It looks like something that was straight out of the 90s. And yet it has, again, you know, taking back to that Adult Swim reference that I made, like it has a very bizarro, surreal approach to a first person shooter that to just call it a first person shooter seems like a disservice because it is very much an immersive sim in that the player has a litany of options. It's almost as if like they took a page out of uh, Deus Ex's book, right? And that the player has complete freedom to approach each level as they see fit, whether, you know, and it goes past just like, do I want to go stealth or do I want to go loud type of thing? Each time you run through a level, you can buy like different body mods that give you different abilities that range from, you know, using your own organs as uh, like Spider-Man webbing to swing around environments, or you can use rocket boots or get a gun planted in your head. This is a completely depraved sensibility of approaching like a cyberpunk world, but there is still this kind of like horror aesthetic to it where like there's randomly monsters, even though you're carrying out these corporate assassinations and liquidations against your uh, corporate foes or you're contracted to do so. But it is a, uh, a, completely bizarre game that is unlike anything I'd played before and uh that's definitely well worth checking out even if it is uh a little I wouldn't say nausea inducing but like you have to get past the fact that it looks the way that it does because there's a good amount of depth there that was very surprising yeah it looks uh it actually kind of looks like something from the Dread X collection in terms of just like being like wildly mm-hmm. stylistic I all I heard was that was like the best game of last year from people that I trust, but also people who who shit post a lot. So <laughs> I wasn't sure what they were doing. Um, but from everything I've heard about it, it it sounds awesome, and I should really give it a go. Um, I do want to make one slight correction on my end. I guess there is a pretty big uh, immersive sim horror game, which is Pathologic. Uh, and pathologic 2 which i actually haven't played you know what i heard so th- i was actually going to mention this earlier so i'm really excited for horror games when i get my steam deck because i'm going to lie in bed and play a fuck ton of them i heard that the steam deck runs pathologic 2 better than even like listen my stacked pc runs pathologic 2 poorly but apparently there's something about the the proton linux os that runs that game super fucking well on the Steam oh, Deck. Oh, wild. Yeah, so I'm really excited to play that game specifically on my Steam Deck. That's another one that's on my back catalog, my ever-growing back catalog. Yeah, that's right. a game I've owned for, God, probably since it came out. 
uh, or since like the full release came out, because I think it was early access, maybe, I don't know, but I've had it forever, and I've been like, one day, I'm going to play you, but uh, haven't done it yet. Well, this is the thing about getting back into PC gaming and whatnot, and that ever-looming bastard that's my wish list, and that they send you email notifications whenever anything is on sale, so it's like, now I've probably yep. got a hundred things on my wish list, and so I'm like at work, and my phone pings or whatever, and it's like, oh, ten of these games that you've been dying to play, and yet have no time to, are now discounted to the point that I could buy a handful of them for what one of them was probably when it came out, and I was like, well, do I have the willpower to say no to this? Probably not, but... <laughs> Can I uh, can I flip the script for a second? Ask what are some movies, horror movies, or horror games that you guys have been enjoying recently? Yeah, uh, absolutely, uh, Stuart. You're you're the we love horror, but you're you're the you're the granddaddy horror boy on this <laughs> podcast. You're the fucking the the bell of the ball, shall um, I say? Well, game wise, I haven't really played anything recently with horror other than like dead by daylight um the new one i i did purchase uh wait oh say that again did you play the new one or are you getting around to the original like i did a few weeks ago because i somehow had never gotten around to it oh oh a new one yeah nice um but other than that uh i'm trying to think other horror games i Movies. Lay some, yeah, movies. lay some horror movies on me. What's what are what are the last two that you've watched that have been uh, <laughs> memorable? Okay, well, I was a big fan last year of the of the Power. I don't know if you saw that. That was a really good movie. That's um, one that's on my list as well. That's a, a Shutter, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and then a Caveat was amazing. I was a big fan of that movie. Um. Uh, and I'm trying to think of some other ones that caveat was great. That had one of my favorite jump scares of the year in it. We don't have to you know, oh spoil my. it for anybody, but that movie has a <laughs> jump scare in it where it's like anybody that says the jump scares are played out or tiresome or whatever, like watch that fucking movie. Cause that is a masterclass in how to deploy a jump scare. A hundred. Well, that was my favorite thing about it. There was nothing. They were not the cheap jump scares. Exactly. And I, and, and, the scene there's a scene with him when he's like in the wall that's one of my favorite horror scenes in a while like that whole sequence um i loved that uh and then uh i was big i know jake i think got to see it later i was big on the night house last year i um, did really, see really night house uh stuart you recommended that to me and jay you also recommended that to me when i was on uh your podcast as well Neither of you recommended it to me. Well, yeah, that's I, I did. Really... I, I said it on the podcast for you, Matt. Well, if yeah, you have you HBO Max, it's coming to streaming uh, April 8th, I believe. Not to date us too much. Oh, shit. Probably not in Canada, though. Oh, shit. Because well, Canada's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We don't have HBO Max up here. I got to steal it from a friend. Well, you'll have to let well, me know what well, you I mean, think. I, I will steal it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I will absolutely steal it. I'm a big Shutter guy because that's what we got up in Canada. <laughs> Do you uh, guys? Get, I've been curious about this because none of my buddies in Canada have Shutter. Do you guys get all of the Shutter exclusives? I assume you do, but it's sort of like the uh, U.S. stuff that gets you know the older stuff that they dig up and get the rights to that probably becomes an issue when it comes to streaming. I would assume. Yeah. So we we I mean I don't know if we get all the all the ads I've seen 
are on Shutter, like the ones that get advertised. I, 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 although I don't know if that's their advertising to Canada because that's what's available, but we do get some different offerings because I really wanted to watch Lake Mungo uh, earlier this year, and uh, I had to use my VPN to do American Shutter, and boy was that frustrating because. Uh, like I, I hate VPNs. Like I don't care what anyone says. They're never perfect. You never get a great connection from them. Even Nord so, VPN. Even Nord VPN. Oh, f- f- well, our today's sponsor. I, I've, yeah. I've never used it. I, that's just, yeah, that's always the podcast sponsor Nord VPN. Uh, I use express VPN. It, it's the oh, one that's, that's the, the other least worse. Yeah. It's the least worse. Like it, it, it really is like, I, I still dropped out during Lake Mungo, which was frustrating. Uh, so I had to like pause it or I had to like go back in, let it buffer, let it load back up, watch the next 30 minutes, which, uh, you know, really, really helped the tension <laughs> yeah. uh, of a movie that relies entirely on its tension. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, we, we definitely get different offerings, but I, I think we get all the exclusive stuff. Like uh, Mandy on it, it says a Shutter exclusive, which is weird because I, I know that it wasn't originally it they must have gotten the rights afterwards right right yeah they definitely did because i saw that in the theater opening night and they didn't have anything to do with shutter at that point i think they just outright bought the uh streaming rights interesting the movie distribution is so fucking insane like the how it works it, unless well no even if you're fucking disney but like it is so ridiculous like Clearly, it is all, it's all so outdated. Like, a lot of these things were put in place years ago. And now it's just, like, tied to all these different parties, many of which don't exist anymore. It, it is, I mean, we're talking about Friday the 13th earlier, but it is genuinely a fucking disaster. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's fucked up. And, I mean, similar with video games, like all those old video games that like who owns the rights to these and like the companies that own them don't want to spend the money on like finding out if they own them. Totally. But the it's... thing with video games, right, is that like there wasn't like a hundred, you know, a hundred years of video game history before. Yes, like, that is also sort of true. Multinational sort of corporations kind of started distributing this stuff. So like, yeah, there is that stuff that's pretty confusing, but I don't think going forward it's going to be as confusing and and i imagine that'll be the same with movies and tv shows at least to some extent but like at the same time like it is still a very old system so it'll probably still be a fucking mess like the fact that like we've been telling you to watch sunny for so long and like you literally don't know how to watch sunny there because it's such a goddamn mess oh yeah the first eight seasons are on disney plus so let's go <laughs> oh, hey, that, that's a good start honestly that's yeah. probably the best of it but People will tell you that it gets bad, but it doesn't. Sunny is always good. No, I've seen... Sunny remains fantastic. I've seen recent episodes, and I laugh my ass off, but... uh, Jake, give Jay some movie recommendations. This man man doesn't... Apparently doesn't know anything about horror movies. We need to teach him. I feel like I don't have anything... I've just just been playing Elden Ring. (laughs) I was going to say, that's what everybody in my entire life has been doing. (laughs) Uh, is what is true. what Me are two too. what are two movies that you've seen recently that you've enjoyed? You know, I, 
I enjoy horror a lot, obviously, but you know, I I do watch other types of movies as well. What what is uh, what what are two other movies recently? You the last movie I watched was uh, Batman Returns. Uh, Fox yeah. Swindler. Oh, okay, there you go. Is awesome, but uh, I don't know if that's the recommendation. Did you really but... watch the Batman Returns? Yeah, man, I've been Fuck watching yeah, them all because I uh, we had our Batman episode, and I was like, I want to go through and watch this, so I watched. 89 Batman Returns, and then I skipped to Batman Begins, which is still a fucking banger. Yeah, uh, I just rewatched that too. What the fuck? You missed like two Batman. Well, yeah, we're there. gonna go back. I, I, I was bored one day, fun. and I was like, I gotta watch. I gotta watch Begins because it's been so long, and I was forgetting things. Uh, I, I saw Fresh. That was probably the last horror movie I saw, but it sounds like you already saw that. I saw Licorice Pizza in theaters twice. I fucking love that movie. Oh, I need to see that. Um, I, I don't think that, that's on digital either yet. No, it I don't is. think it, I think it it's is. It just it just did. coming. Oh it, oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's it's like that theater at home, but I think you could even buy it now. Um, I definitely recommend giving that a watch. I I mean, it, it it's definitely one of Paul Thomas Anderson's more entertaining films. I would say, like it 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 is a lot of fun, a lot of good music, uh, a lot of great performances. It's very not upbeat necessarily, but like there's a lot of uh innocence i guess to it um i i i couldn't recommend it enough i I think that movie is fantastic but definitely not a horror movie (laughs) (laughs) no that's fine i like i said you know it's horror is a big focus for me but i still make a point to uh to wet my palate with plenty of other genres but you just mentioned something that you know i've there's been a lot of discourse about especially you know because of the pandemic how have you guys felt about a lot of the you know, theater at home options, you know, Stuart just mentioned that, um, that have cropped up around all these movies, you know, like obviously there was that huge deal with HBO max, right. And that they had a lot of same day, uh, drops like Dune and whatnot. How do you guys kind of feel about that? Do you guys prefer going to the movies? Do you prefer to watch them at home? Do you think that there's a, a happy medium between both of those options? Uh, for I, me, I, I feel like I, I would be happy to stay at home. Uh, but I mean, something like the Batman. So, so, okay. Scream, that new Scream movie. I would have been happy to stay at home and watch that. I I like watching horror movies at home. Horror movies. It's fun to be in the theater, but like you don't lose much. It's kind of a different experience when you're watching at home. And I feel like it's superior, uh, mainly because like, dude, when I, when I went to go scream, go see scream, in like the lot like there's a there's a moment in that movie where you're like okay the movie's about to end because they're in this spot in this movie and it's kind of mirroring the first movie so you're kind of like all right so they're in like the last moments of the movie but uh, i had diarrhea so i, I was like <laughs> oh fuck I, I might have to run out in the middle of the end of this movie and it was the worst and it's like i'm like fuck dude if i was just at home i could pause this go do my business come back not miss a beat be happy and never think about it again <laughs> like it, it'll never be a blip in my in my life but because i had that horrible moment in the theater of like am i am i am i like it kind of it, it made me it, it, there's that anxiety of needing to pee needing to poop having someone in the theater but so, something like the batman like i it felt like i i mean i've got a good sound system and a great tv but like i it felt like a theater movie. You know what I mean? 
that ma- that Batmobile scene does not hit the same at home as it does in the fucking theater. Oh yeah, doubt it. Yeah, so. I'd have to imagine, right? So uh, and, and same with something like Spider Man. But anyway, Jake, you were gonna say. Well, I, I I kind of agree with you. I will say I fucking love seeing movies in theaters. I don't care what movie it is. Like, I don't think I would see a movie in theater and be like, man, I wish I just, that was on demand and I wish I could watch it at home. I will say, though, if one motherfucker ruins that theater experience by, like, I don't know, whispering to someone next to him, like, cracking a joke uh, or, or just you know, talking too loud, like, once that theater experience is ruined, it's fucking ruined. And then I'm like, yeah. fuck, I wish I could just watch this at home. But, like, generally... Like I, I love going to the theater with the boys, seeing seeing some like shitty movies that like <laughs> I probably should just watch, you know, at home. But like, there's something about rolling up to the theater doing a double feature, which uh, Stuart we're gonna do right for uh, the Northman. Hell and, yeah! Uh, and the Nicolas Cage movie. So doesn't the Northman? I, I saw recently talent. that it's coming out near the end of April now. I think that's when it was so. supposed to come out. Right? I think it was supposed. Yeah, I don't. I think yeah, that, I thought it was. Oh, I thought it was supposed eight. to come out the end of this month. No, nope. damn. Same I, day as the unbearable weight of uh, the Nicholas Cage movie, which apparently is very good. I've heard. Very excited. <laughs> that movie is uh, performing surprisingly well. But Northman's supposed to be out twenty uh, second of April. Hell yeah! Can't wait. I can't oh, yeah. wait for both those yeah. films. That's yeah, a hell of I a think... double feature you guys have planned. Yeah, right? I love it. <laughs> Both ends of the spectrum, I love it. Yeah, I think that in t- for like that for the theater question, I'm 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 like a kind of happy medium with the two, because there have been some that came directly to video or or on demand, where I was happy they did because I had zero interest to go to the theater to see them, and I probably wouldn't have watched them otherwise. So in those cases, I am like, okay, it's cool that they said like I would have probably came out of the theater like just annoyed at like if i went to go see kong and godzilla in theaters um and like there's been a couple like that where i was just underwhelmed and like okay i'm glad i didn't see that in a big screen but there is something about seeing movies on the big screen in the environment i mean i do need like like jake said if you're in a respectful auditorium it's it, i love the experience i mean i've had movies where i loved the movie but like it was getting ruined because there were people either talking throughout the whole thing and not in a quiet way or you know doing something where it kind of ruined it but when you're when you're there with like the right audience i i love going to the movies i i I would be sad if theaters ever closed because if you i mean even like i remember going to see like jake and i we went to go see like the lighthouse in theaters and i i would have been bummed to have watched that at home for my first time yeah, I would agree with like that. Like watching that on a big sc- like big screen and like we had like just like a really quiet chill theater like it was a great experience and I Yeah, that, that's would be also sad like if we couldn't do that again. Another thing too, right? Like seeing a movie like The Lighthouse is usually good in theaters because there's usually not going to be a ton of people and the people yes. there aren't going to be obnoxious. Like I, I mean, I I really like Spider-Man, but that was a movie that I probably would have been cool seeing at home because I don't need people cheering every time, like, a fucking, <laughs> like, side Oh, my God, character. he shot a web. Oh, yeah, I know like, that I, character. Like, like, I respect the excitement people have for these movies, but, like, shut up. <laughs> right. I may have I'm, had a I'm silence a wheel for Daredevil. I'm a curmudgeon. 
Daredevil, Daredevil was exciting, but you know. <laughs> I, I think it's so funny that uh, you guys picked The Lighthouse because I saw that in theaters too, but I feel like my love for that movie appreciated with every rewatch because I got to put subtitles on when I watched it at home. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I missed, uh, yeah. Uh, I missed so much of this dialogue <laughs> the first time around. But no, that, you know, I'm in the same boat where it's like there's some movies that I want to see in the theater, obviously. But at the same time, I think uh, something that's interesting in terms of like the pandemic with theaters is just like realizing there's such a segment of the population that doesn't have access to movie theaters, whether or not it's like where they live based on where they live or, you know, different situations that people have and whatnot that they can't physically get to the theater. And just like I've just because of, you know, freelance writing, you write for so many different sites, you're interacting with so many different writers and editors and realizing like so many people are, either housebound or they literally can't get to the theater. Like seeing mm-hmm. so many people having access to movies that they might not otherwise have access to in a timely fashion, I guess, in terms of like whether it's either coverage or just like being able to be part of the conversation was an element that I really hope doesn't disappear while at the same yeah. time trying to be realistic about the fact that it's like, yeah, movie theaters at the same time can't survive probably if it's this $20 price point, which, you know, if you want to, start to nickel and dime in terms of how much do those experiences cost. Um, that's another conversation, but and for people far smarter than me that understand the economics behind it, but I don't know. I think the older I get, I'm more precise with when I actually go to the movies, like picking times to avoid that sort of the issue of like finding the right audience or whatever. Cause I've definitely had totally. instances where it's like you have somebody, you go at a, a time when it's like, yeah, a bunch of kids are going to be there or whatever, or there's going to be like opening night at like six or seven o'clock. It's like when everybody's getting off work, you're going to get a bigger crowd that might like, I don't know, they went out to the bar or something right after work or whatever. And it's like a lot rowdier and not as ideal of a situation. And then, you know, the older I get, I have less tolerance for people that want to like snicker through movies. So then I have to tell them to shut up or whatever. But it's the type of thing where, I don't know. I, either, I almost had I, to kick a dad's ass during Spider-Man. Kick your dad's <laughs> ass? No, there was a dad. Ass. I stood next to, I was sitting next to a dad who was on, like, he did not give a fuck about the movie. And he was just kept being on his phone the whole time. And then I was like, this, this is a sad moment. And I just told him, I'm like, hey, turn your fucking phone off. And, and he, and he stopped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've definitely, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older now, but it's the type of thing where it's like, if a motherfucker's on his phone at this point, I'm going to say something because it's like, you're ruining my experience, but also like, if I'm annoyed, there's definitely a lot of other people in there that are annoyed, but I don't know. It's the type of thing where now I so seldomly go to the movies just because of those options or, you know, coverage comes up for an opportunity or something. It's like, oh, get an early screener for something that's going to be on shutter or something like that. And it's like, generally that's more in line with what I'm interested in. Uh, just in terms of like, like we talked about earlier, like getting these weirder, more abstract concepts that are more likely to give me something I haven't seen before or give me an experience that's a little bit different. But if I do go to the movies, generally it's like a day when I have a day off, I'll go to a matinee or go later at night because, you know, I'm I'm up anyways recording podcasts or this or that. So I might as well go and there'll be less, uh, <laughs> there'll be less school buses full of children going to see Batman for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah i, I definitely my think experience when i saw that which was a ton of fun oh god yeah I, I definitely think having options is the way to go like even though i like going into the 
into a movie theater, like like you're saying, there are just times where it's just not feasible, right? Like, I really want to see this movie. I mean, that was kind of like the case with Licorice Pizza. I ended up seeing it twice in theaters, so it's probably not a great example. But, like, that was a movie that I was having trouble, like, finding time to go see. And I was just like, I wish I could just watch it at home. Um, and then I will say the other thing, too, right? Like, I've never been in the position. Well, actually, I guess I have been in the position where uh, I was writing reviews for movies that were showing in theaters so i had to go to the theater and try to like take notes and pay attention and like good lord i wish i could have just paused it and like taken a breather write down some notes like you you know like that that's something that i haven't had to deal with in a very long time and i know if i was reviewing movies or even just trying to look at them critically like i I mean i kind of do i armchair criticize right like i like oh i don't like that and that but like if i actually had to sit down and write criticism on a film i would be very frustrated if i had to go to a movie theater or like a premiere with all these like people there for very different reasons and like who are excited for very different reasons and i'm just like i just gotta sit here and like focus because i can't miss any of this shit that would stress me out yeah, a hundred percent. And fortunately, I mean, from my experience, at least like studios are getting more and more comfortable with sending screeners of bigger theatrical releases just to home now because of obviously, you know, the pandemic has exacerbated that totally, yep. rather given them more of a reason to, cause it's like, yeah, most people aren't willing. Well, this was, I guess a year and a half or two years ago. Now it seems everybody's going out and doing everything now, but it was the type of thing where it was like, yeah, that was a big ask back in the day, but it's becoming more and more common. But yeah, I've definitely been there where it was like you have to you have to scribble in your notebook or whatever while you're trying well, to watch a movie. And it was dark. like, oh man, I would <laughs> I would fucking love to rewind that and rewatch that or take a breather from that. And you know, that's a a luxury that reviewing stuff from home has definitely given me a greater appreciation for. That was just something I was curious about because has been a uh, a hot topic as it were on uh twitter and things of that nature so i was cu- i appreciate you guys let me pick your brains on that <laughs> not not to yeah, belabor absolutely. this but i think my biggest fear though right is if like it turns into only like marvel movies like big movies yeah. are only in theaters that would be fucking terrible like I, I, I like there's a lot of movies right that you can make the argument like yeah marvel makes sense for in theaters because they have huge budgets and whatnot but like there are smaller movies like the lighthouse which like like uh, i don't want to keep but even licorice pizza right that's a movie that like i'm really happy i saw in theaters and if like we got to a point where a lot of these studios just didn't distribute distribute those to theaters i'd be pretty fucking bummed Agreed. Perfect example of that would be uh, Ty West's new horror film X just came out, oh, and around me there's oh, yeah. there's I one go theater. So bad. Yeah, I'm I'm pl- I'm trying to find time this week to go see it, but there's one theater near me, and that's the only theater that has it. But I was looking, you know, expanding the range or whatever for theaters around me, and none of the other theaters have it. So like, if I- I'm just outside of Boston, and it's the idea where it's like. Sure, there's all these theaters, but at the end of the day, there's one theater that has it, that has one or two showings. And, you know, it's anecdotal, but when uh, Nightmare Alley came out and, you know, that was released against uh, the new Spider-Man, I believe. And I have a friend that's a manager at a massive theater and they had two showings, I think, a day for Nightmare Alley. And they had all the other theaters were just like Spider-Man and one other thing. And it's like, 
at the end of the day, those types of movies are just going to get further and further pushed out of theaters because what is the point of that if they're only going to appease the 20 or 30 people that are going to go to those two showings when they could just have that theater full for Spider-Man or Batman or whatever, which, you know, I enjoy those superhero movies and those are fun and they have their own uh, merits and entertainment and whatnot. But when you're talking about like, theaters remaining profitable other than like them making beer $25 a pint or whatever craziness they would <laughs> try to do. Um, that was the other thing that I was going to mention getting to watch movies from home. It's so much more dignifying, not having to like walk into a theater with a backpack full of beer and like having somebody he- pretend they don't hear like the bottles clinking between me and my buddies. Counterpoint. <laughs> it's awesome to walk into a theater with a backpack full of beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not when you're almost 30 and they're like, can I look in your yeah, bag? And I'm fair. like, Oh, uh, I mean, it's just my clothes and some food or, but yeah, um, it's <laughs> the type of thing it, though, where I don't know. It's, it's depressing, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I, understand from a business standpoint why they have to do things like that but at the end of the day especially like in the boston area i think there's two theaters like there's um coolidge corner theater and then there's like the brattle which is near harvard university which like they make a good chunk of their money on showing the anniversary remasters and whatnot of older movies or they just have like random older movies that you can go see on the big screen like i saw alien for the 40th anniversary there and yeah. it's the type of thing where, yeah, you've got one or two outliers, but that's not really feasible for the bigger chains, obviously, because the market is much smaller than the craziness that is uh, superhero stuff. Right. I mean, it, it it's it's a bummer, too, because like I had that same issue uh, last year with St. Maud. I had to wait for it to come to streaming to watch it because there was no theater anywhere near me playing it. And I was like, damn, like, there's just literally nowhere playing it. And they didn't. And, and that would even also have been a good example of one. Maybe they should have gone the hybrid approach. Because um, I'm sure they didn't. I'm sure it didn't have a giant wide release. But um, and that just happened with the curse, too. Uh, so it's like, you know, maybe there are certain releases. It's good to go the hybrid route. And then others where, you know, they do go for the theatrical. Like, I don't know how Malignant did. I, I would hope it did well. I, I didn't like really follow that in terms of how much it made doing the hybrid approach, but I feel like it must have done at least okay. It's so hard to know, right? Right. Yeah, that's I, the difficult thing. I mean, I love thing, Malignant, though, this, but... Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the difficult thing with this model or this kind of like weird gray area that we're in is that, yeah, if you give somebody like James Wan the budget to do whatever he wants to do, like inevitably you're going to make your money back probably right through whatever it is, whether it's streaming deals or uh, Blu-ray sales and digital sales and things of that nature. But for the guys that are not as well known, like the Ty Wests and whatnot, who it's like, yeah, to horror fans, that name means something, but outside of genre fans, like what does that really mean? It's more difficult, I think. And, you know, St. Maude was a great example of that. Um, Just because, for starters, it doesn't help that they had a limited release, but then their streaming service that they picked was Epics, which I don't know about right. you guys. In the grand scheme of streaming services, who the fuck subscribes to Epics? It's kind of like <laughs> never, what is never yeah, exa- opened Epics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like even with Paramount, sure. like I have my buddy has Paramount, and I was like, outside of Jackass Forever and uh, Scream, what the fuck am I gonna watch on that outside of those two releases? Maybe Bar Rescue for until the end of eternity, but other than that, <laughs> come on, Tafford. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, hey, you know what, Jay? We are super fucking stoked you could join us today to talk horror, to talk theaters. Uh, we should do with it your again. Help, we can kill them and put them into the ground together. Oh, Jesus. No. no. <laughs> but we should, but we should I, come back so we can keep talking about horror, though. I'm, 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 absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Always down. I want to, well, our original plan, we wanted to get you on for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre review. Um, but, uh, we will have to get you on for whenever we review a horror movie next. Uh, we, we say review, but we like just talk shit for like an hour. Uh, <laughs> we have talked highly of movies. Oh yeah. Well, I'm just saying we, we talk shit. We're not, we're not, I was not saying we're talking shit about shoot. Oh, oh, just, just the you mean, words like that are coming out of our mouth are shit. Oh, exactly. Oh, we're yeah. literally spewing feces. Shoot, shooting the shit. We're shooting the shit. We're talking shit, son. All right. That's enough for me today. I want to thank everyone for listening to this <laughs> oh, episode okay, of Matt. Nuclear Fridge. What? Maybe it's not enough for the rest of us. Well, you guys can keep recording. I need to pee really bad. It's the same thing. I can't pause the podcast. What are we on? Are, oh, shit. We are over an hour. Oh. Yeah, we're yeah. Well, yeah, see this is Stuart doesn't know the difference between an hour and three hours. Hey man, I enjoy talking here and Jay know, has been I a know. pleasure to talk to. I'm sorry. Jay has been Dear a fucking God. delight. I'm so sorry, Matt, that time flies by when you're having fun. My God. Stuart, not in front of the kids. All right. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll what? fight after. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Nuclear Fridge. I want to thank Jay for joining us. Jay the saw series you need you need to be nice to it you need to you need to do me a solid and <laughs> and rewatch those movies and and just fucking realize their brilliance we and can realize do a saw episode i was singing the praises of six when i had decker on my podcast so hell yeah I'm not dude a complete six saw is the best ignoramus that is true but six is like elevated like art compared to the rest of the movie six is like i'll co-sign that Oh man, six is six is brilliant. Like from beginning to end, the best traps, the best everything. I will say though, uh, just before uh, we have to go, uh, this was a pleasure, yeah. gentlemen. I appreciate you guys uh, indulging my nonsense for more than an hour. Um, this and... is not nonsense. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I was very, I was very, uh, I was very specific in saying my nonsense. Um, not y'all, but uh, anytime you guys want to have me back, I'd be more than happy to. And if uh, any of y'all ever get the inkling to chat horror? You have a uh, you have a place in daily horror habit. Hell yeah, Thank man! You. Absolutely, and, just and, give and us I, a call and we'll be there. And I wasn't talk, talking like you were saying all our nonsense. I was just saying everything you said. I, I I enjoy all this shit too, so it's not nonsense. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. We will see you all next week. Wait, wait, wait! Did we not then, get any emails from Google? Oh. Uh, let me check. You know, no, gotta give we the did kids not. what they want. All right. <laughs> we absolutely did not get any emails from Google. All right. I'm sorry. All right. Well, we'll see you all next week. Let's see if I can get through the intro without Stuart interrupting me again. The well, intro? You're already, you're already intro. through the intro. You already fucked it. Fuck it. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Fuck y'all. Enjoy, enjoy three to four cold ones from the nuclear fridge. Yes. There we go.